Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Amazon know a great deal about me. They know what I buy, because I buy virtually everything on Amazon. They know what food I buy. They know what books I read. They know from the Kindle how often I read the books. They know when I go to bed. They would intentionally have a limited period of time through which they'd sell each movie. So you could only buy Dumbo for the next six months. And so even if your child was too young to enjoy Dumbo, you know, you had to buy it now. If you're in a store, you hear somebody shouting at you or whatever it may be, or stamping their feet or whatever it is they're doing. But in a digital experience, how do you know when the customer's feeling frustrated? So Ryan, you know that I wear glasses pretty much for reading and sometimes for long distance. And stuff. Yeah, I, I notice you take them off anytime you have to look in my direction, but I do notice that you, <laughs> you do occasionally wear glasses, yes. Yeah, when I look at you, they sort of shade black, y- so sure. you can't see whether I'm asleep or not. Smart glasses. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm familiar with the concept. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking a bit about digital experiences, and we're going to be talking about five new rules for building a great digital experience. And I wanted to start off with this story about me buying some glasses. So in England, there's a a service called Glasses Direct, which is where you go online, you choose the frames that you want, they send you the frames, you try the frames on in the comfort of your own home, you choose the frame, you put in your prescription, and they tell you how much it is, and you press the button and glasses get delivered. Yeah. And it's the first time I'd ever used them, to be honest with you. And just during the pandemic, I didn't fancy going up to the to the optician to get it all done. And my son had said that they're actually normally a bit cheaper than doing that way. So I, 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 anyway, I ended up ordering it. I ended up buying some glasses that do sort of long distance, short distance. I can't even remember what they're called. What are they called? Bifocals. Bifocals. Well, I don't know if they're bifocals. Bifocals are invented by the great American Benjamin Franklin. So you may be... <laughs> Blocking that out as a matter of national pride. It could be. That may be the case. The nub of this story is that they sent me an email saying that the glasses were going to be coming, but they wanted for me to do a measurement. Okay, so I'd sent them the prescription stuff off, but because they needed to make sure that the center spot, the sweet spot, was in the middle of the glasses. The, the the prescription that I sent to them didn't have all the right measurements in it. So believe it or not, they asked me to put a credit card on my head, on my forehead, and take a picture of it and then send it to them, okay? Now, I've just spent $250, $300 on a, this pair of glasses. I'm now starting to feel really uneasy. And I was annoyed with them as well because it had taken weeks for them to respond, or what I thought it had taken weeks to respond. I'd got about 10 emails from them promoting different things, but nothing about my glasses. And it turns out that they'd sent me one email some time ago 
but 10 promotional ones. And they said, well, if you want to track your glasses, go here. And when I went online to track where my glasses were, you couldn't track it. And it didn't tell me whether I sent the box back with all of the other glasses that I've not had. So the point I'm trying to make is this. It's a great idea, but from a digital experience, it's really poorly executed. And the fact that I have to take a picture with a credit card on my head to show them what the distance between my two eyes are, it just doesn't inspire me with confidence. (laughs) So I thought it was a good example to start off with because I think Glasses Direct are, are literally one of the first ones, certainly in the UK, that went down this sort of digitized route. But the overall experience that they provide they provided me, I wasn't over-impressed with. And I think since the pandemic, obviously everyone's doing a lot more digital stuff. And therefore, I think that organizations virtually need to get into this digital transformation 2.0. So everyone's done 1.0. But I think a lot of organizations are going to have to change their digital experience. So I wanted to talk today about these five new rules for building a great digital experience. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I love it. Sometimes firms neglect the experience aspect entirely when they move digital. They kind of forget that people are still people even when they're interacting with a computer. Sometimes they acknowledge the importance of a digital experience, but just don't know what's different about the digital experience and the in-person experience to kind of make those adjustments. So hopefully this will be helpful. Let's, uh, Let's jump in. And to your point, I think for me, digital transformation 1.0, what organizations would be going through, too many organizations have, all they've done is taken their physical process and they've digitized it with all the bad things that (laughs) surround it. Right. In fact, I won't give you that example. I'm going to save that example for later on. Otherwise, I'm just going to have a constant stream of digital experiences that I've had that aren't very good. You've been hurt before, Colin. I have. This is kind of a therapy session also. Well, one of the things that we also do is we actually do these, what we call uh, digital experience health checks, which is where we act as a customer. So if it was Glasses Direct, we would go on and buy a set of glasses and then take screenshots of all the experiences and then feed back to them what the good things are and the bad things are and all the rest of it. So I do end up having a number of, I now pick out lots of little holes in where things are going wrong, but let's get on the positive side. So what is it people need to do to build a great digital experience? The first one is really to the point you just made, Ryan, which is, designing what I would call digital nudging. So we know the concept of nudging come from uh, Thaler in his book, seminal book on the subject of nudging. Called Nudge. Yes, called Nudge, yeah. Well, in fact, do you want to describe what a nudge is? Uh, Sure. So at the time that that Thaler and and Cass Sunstein wrote their book, there was quite a lot of research that had been done over the years uh, that was feeding into this this general knowledge of behavioral economics, like these small changes that we can make that, that kind of shift people in one direction or another. And in the book, they captured the idea that these behavioral economics tools are not ways to just like hijack somebody's brain and hypnotize them and force them to do something they don't want to. 
Instead, they often serve as very subtle cues that nudge people, that, that move them a little bit in one direction or another, and that they can be implemented in all kinds of different ways. And so that book was about pulling together a lot of different insights in how people can be influenced and how businesses and governments and others can subtly influence people without forcing them to do things. Yeah. So so let's sort of take that into the digital space. So how can you influence your customers to buy the product, to use your services, whatever it may be? And the answer is, effectively, all the things that we talk about on this podcast. And we've done a number of these podcasts on these, but things like scarcity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you're making an offer to a customer, put a time limit on it um, because that makes it scarce. Or if there's, you know, it's only uh, a limited period. I think you used, haven't you, in the past, the Disney catalog as an, as an example? Yeah, the Disney vault. At the time when they would sell hard copies of movies and DVDs, they would intentionally have a limited period of time through which they'd sell each movie. So you could only buy Dumbo for the next six months. And so even if your child was too young to enjoy Dumbo, you know, you had to buy it now. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to buy it until they were 15. And at that point, it would be too late and your child would be ruined. So you better buy it now. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and scarcity is just one of them. I mean, let me throw out some other other examples of things that you need to do in this designing in the digital nudging. So, there's the whole area of the decoy effect. There's social proofing, which is effectively the reviews and and getting people to comment on it, things to make it popular on or even viral on social media. There's extremeness aversion, which basically says that what people tend to do is they tend not to buy the most expensive, they tend not to buy the cheapest, they tend to go in the middle because we don't like extremes. So again, when you're making your offer online, then how are you positioning the price of those things? There's the whole area around sort of first impressions. We did a podcast a little while ago with one of your colleagues, didn't we, on the aesthetics mm-hmm. of how things, how things look as well to make it visually appealing. Yeah, Claudia Townsend from University of Miami. That's a good one for people to go back and listen to. No, absolutely. I mean, this is a fantastic list. And as you said, we could just go through all of the topics we typically talk about with regards to behavioral economics and nudging. I think one of the differences, one of the key differences, when you're designing a digital experience, it's usually the case that you have more control as a designer than when you're designing a physical experience. And that means that there are more opportunities for including smart nudging in there. Yes. So I get frustrated a little bit when people hear about something like, say, the decoy effect, and then kind of clumsily add what they think is a decoy option to their set of, of things that they're selling, and then it doesn't work and they get frustrated with the science. These nudges are very subtle and have to work in very closely controlled circumstances. So you can do that in a digital setting in ways that you can't in a physical setting. So if you add a decoy to your set of, a, of things that you're selling, but then those things are sold through Walmarts, well, now suddenly you don't have control over the assortment anymore. And so there's no reason to expect that a decoy would do anything. If you're selling through your, your digital experience, you have complete control over what people see. So it's an opportunity. Absolutely. Really good point. And when we do these health check stuff, 
we're constantly surprised how organizations shoot themselves in the foot and don't put enough attention to that detail and, and don't put enough thought to how these things play out, which actually leads perfectly on to number two. So rule number two, uh, which is analyze how customers really behave. Now, building on what you were just saying, and we've talked about this again many times, A, the thing I love about the digital space is everything can be measured. You can measure where people have come from. You can measure where people are going to. You can measure the hotspots on the screen. Understanding then, having all of that data enables you to be able to physically look at that data and therefore make some predictions. But the bit I want to tie back to that you've just mentioned is the other thing it enables you to do is to just bloody test the stuff Yeah. in a really safe environment. Yeah. So doing A-B tests of, well, what happens if I use this icon and what happens if I put that icon there and what happens if this happens? And you can do just so many tests in, in such a short period of time to see what the effect is. It's such a great point that the advantages of digital experiences from the company's standpoint are, are twofold, and they're just the things that you mentioned. So on the one hand, you have greater power, greater control over what people see and in what order and at what time. And then on the other side, you have access to greater data. So you have better capacity to analyze what people are actually doing. So can you use both of those tools and can you use them concurrently? So can one feed into the other? Can you design your digital experience both so that you take advantage of these nudges and so that you maximize your opportunity to get data back out and see what people are doing. What is your digital or physical experience like from a customer perspective? What should you change? How do you compare against your competition? Whether you're a small, medium or large size organization, why not let me or one of the team review your digital or physical experience by undertaking an experience health check? In this short and affordable engagement, we will act as a customer. And if we can't practically do that, we'll talk to some of your customers and we'll assess your experience against best practice. We will then provide you with a series of actionable recommendations for change. If you're interested in finding out more, just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash health check. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash health check. If you haven't listened to the podcast that uh, Ryan and I did a few weeks ago, uh, which was around what is customer science, I would recommend that you go and listen to it because when we start to use the word customer science, it's for me, it's that blend of data, mm-hmm. which you get in abundance with a digital experience, but really being able to see what people are doing. So again, regular listeners will know that there's a big difference between what customers say and what customers do. The great thing in the digital environment is you can see what they do and you can make one of these digital nudges and you can see the effect upon it and by doing those tests is key effectively this is what amazon do yeah we talked in that podcast about the fact that amazon know a great deal about me they know what i buy because i buy virtually everything on amazon they know what food i buy they know what books i read they know 
from the Kindle how often I read the books. They know when I go to bed because I set an alarm or I typically put a sleep alarm on my Amazon Echo. They know who's come to my front door, how many times the door's rung. And all that data they use to effectively profile customers. And rightly so in my book. Some people think it's big brotherish, but I think it's absolutely rightly so. Because what they then do is they then use that to feed into this next piece. So the, the next rule is design your experience to anticipate your customers' needs. Okay. So time is really important to us. Okay. And therefore, how that manifests itself is we want things to be easy. You know, we want to spend the least amount of time on something. We want to spend the least amount of cognitive resources on thinking about something. So given all that data, you can now start to use this and understanding your customer behavior from rule number two, you can now start to use that to anticipate what customers will do next and effectively beat them to it, offer it to them to make that easier and a much better experience as well. Yeah. One of the ways that cognitive psychologists have talked about information is as information consuming attention as a precious resource. So we have a limited amount of attention. And so information, as it comes in, consumes that attention as if it were lamp oil that were being burned up to the extent that you can make things easier on your customer by understanding how they navigate through a website, by understanding what needs they would have to accompany a certain purchase. There's nothing that drives you more crazy than when you are trying to buy something and you need some specific bit of information and you have to dig through pages and pages of bullet points on the website in order to find the one piece of information that you need. I was recently buying some woodworking tools, some router bits, and I just, I needed to know how tall they were. And my goodness, if the retailer didn't make me work for that product dimension seems like a pretty basic thing to get. And yet I had to dig through and, and I finally had to find reviewers who had bought the thing before and who were kind enough to give me this basic information. Don't make your customers work. Anticipate. Figure out what the, what they would want and don't make them burn up their precious attention trying to find basic stuff. The whole bit about rule number two about analyzing how customers really behave is the data's there. Yeah. It's there. It's just that people aren't using it and they're not interpreting it well enough, which is the thing that I think is key. I know we're going to get on our hobby horse here, mate, which is because you can then use that information to really get into doing some really good behavioral segmentation to be able to turn around and say, okay, it's this type of customer that normally behaves in this way. So we will now be, we want to give them this type of information because that makes their experience better. So we could carry on this podcast for ages, to be honest with you, uh, but we won't. Because we anticipate your needs as a listener <laughs> of wanting to sleep and eat and communicate with your family. So we won't. So let's go on to rule number four. Yeah, rule number four. Plan to evoke emotions and measure them. So about 18 months ago, we did some podcasts on facial expression. And I don't see that being used enough within organizations. 
and facial expressions for those of people that don't know what I'm talking about. You've got facial recognition, which basically means that a camera picks up my face and says, this is Colin Shaw. And you've got facial expression. And facial expression basically is is much more anonymous data, but it, it looks at the micro expressions that as I'm having a digital experience, it will turn around and say, effectively say, Colin raised his eyebrow by one millimetre and that means that he's surprised or Colin frowned or smiled or whatever it may be. At this point in the customer journey, and the real advantage is whilst looking at this part of the screen and therefore you're able to measure your how the customer is feeling during that experience. So if I go back to my Glasses Direct experience, when they saw that they were asking me to stick a credit card on my head to measure my eyes, they would have saw my surprise. How could they do that? And actually my lack of confidence in going, oh, I'm not really sure that's a good idea. Are you sure that this wasn't a scam to get your credit card number? Well, funny you should say that. But what they did do, because they clearly had thought about it, is they said, take the credit card, but make sure there's no numbers showing to do it. So, I mean, clearly, yeah. And that, to a certain extent, made me go, well, clearly they've done this many times before. But the proof of the pudding's in the eating. It's just uh, ever since wearing these glasses, I've got double vision now, so I don't know what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) I'm only joking, actually. The glasses actually are pretty good. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean to say that they couldn't improve their experience. So I think that you need to recognize that particularly customers get very emotional and can get either way. And one of the problems, which goes to the opposite of what you were saying at the beginning, is because it's not physical, you can't see them. <laughs> I'm feeling frustrated how do you know? Yeah. If you're in a store, you hear somebody shouting at you or, you know, whatever it may be, or stamping their feet or whatever it is they're doing. But in a digital experience, how do you know when you when the customer's feeling frustrated? Uh, well, that can manifest itself by them maybe leaving that page just at the time that they were meant to be checking out. Um, it could be that at that point, they get on the chatbot or whatever it may be, or it could be that you get X amount of phone calls into the call center, whatever it may be. But it's more difficult. So you've really got to work at the rule number four, which is plan to evoke emotions in your customers. Rule number five. Rule number five is an interesting one. And this, I think, is sort of definitely post-COVID, which is rule number five is humanize the technology okay so what do i mean by that i think maybe the best way of me describing this is to again to give you an example as i mentioned to you before i buy everything on amazon and we bought a kitchen knife on amazon a large kitchen knife chef's knife and we dropped it on the floor and surprise very surprisingly the blade broke okay which i was really surprised about so went online, went to see when I bought it, noticed that they've got a manufacturer's warranty for a, a couple of years, then went on to the chat and started to say, hey, look, I bought this you know, a year ago, and it's a couple of years warranty, blah, 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 blah. I was clearly dealing with 
a automated chatbot. Right. Yeah? Yep. How did I know? Well, because of the nudges that they hadn't thought about. So when I put in its order number, blah, 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 they came back within a nanosecond. And I thought, that's bloody too fast for a human being <laughs> to, to be dealing with that, you know, which isn't bad in itself, but it tells me I'm not dealing with a human. Okay. As I started to get into the conversation with them more or with it more, maybe I should say, they, at some point, they put me over to a human being. And the human being, what they did was what I mentioned earlier. What they did was they asked me the same questions that the bloody chatbot had asked me, yeah, which again annoyed me. But it's this humanization and understanding again when you're dealing in this environment, how do you make that interaction feel, keyword, human? Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. And one of the other areas, and perhaps you you can talk through this, is again we had a one of your colleagues on that was talking about feedback when they use feedback when you complete feedback after going into a restaurant or whatever it may be. The reason that we care about humanizing technology is in part because we know that people respond differently to things depending on the technology that they're using, and and so the colleague you're referring to is Shiri Melamad from uh, Wharton. She has data that shows that people respond differently on uh, cell phones rather than how they do on computers. And that, that's a very subtle difference. We wouldn't expect big changes there. Imagine if we can find differences in, and the differences she found were in terms of, of emotionality. People write more emotional reviews on phones where it's difficult to communicate, to type things out. And so people kind of get to the point of it which is generally something more emotional than they do on computers where it's easier for them to type. If we can detect differences based on something so subtle as the phone versus a computer, imagine how differently people will react when they think they're talking to another human being versus when they think they, they're talking to an automated robot. And those differences in reactions are things that we need to anticipate and manage, right? So to your point, like it's not always going to be bad for somebody to communicate with a bot, like, so it might not be bad that you're getting your response immediately. On the other hand, it's definitely going to be different. And so you need to figure out, do I want a human response on this? Or is it going to be better if there's a technology response on this? And which way should I manage it? Absolutely. So dealing with a bot is not a bad thing, because ultimately what I want is the answer. However, the humanizing of the technology piece for me also means that you shouldn't be feeling like you're just in a process and you can't ever get out of it. I was trying to contact um, my cable company the other day. Just trying to talk to someone was just a nightmare, basically. I'm not going to go off on one of those tangents at the moment. Let me just summarize five key rules when looking to build a great digital experience. Number one, designing digital nudging. Okay, so that's the whole area of behavioral science that we've been talking about. Number two, analyze how customers really behave. Okay, so really look at the, the numbers and within there, 
really important message about test things, test things, test things. Number three, design your experience to anticipate your customers' needs. You can do that by analyzing all the data and all those other wonderful things. Four, plan to evoke emotions and and measure those things. So think about how you're going to understand how the customer is feeling. You certainly don't want them to feel frustrated. You want them to feel, well, which emotion do you want them to feel and how are you going to evoke those emotions? And then measuring those through facial expression, etc. And finally, humanize the technology. Think about how this comes across to the customer, how you can humanize that interaction and appeal to the human being at the end. That's great. So I hope that's been of use to everybody. If anybody wants to find out more about how we can review your digital experience and how we can do a health check on your digital experience, then please reach out to us. Just contact us at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.